This is a podcast from Delancey Eden Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Delancey Eden Church building at Le Banks, St. Samson, in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. I was just thinking, just preparing these last couple of weeks about what to say, and I really felt um, to just continue looking at this um, 40 days after Jesus' resurrection when he was still on, uh, on the earth. We've had Easter last weekend, and we've been looking at the Good Friday and then the resurrection on the Sunday. Um, but was just looking again at the, the passages that have got Jesus' encounter with people after he um, was resurrected. So we're going to take a little bit of a look at that today. But I don't know um, whether you're like me, but... Um, you know, I'm often losing things. I'm often misplacing things. Important things like passports and stuff. And you know when you can visualize something, can't you? And you think, yeah, I can visualize. I'm sure it was there. And you go there and it's not there. And it just takes you ages to find it. And it's really frustrating. And we can lose all sorts of things, can't we, in our day-to-day lives. You know, keys, whatever, tickets, loads of different things. We can also kind of like search in our lives for abstract things like happiness or whatever it might be. I um, really love looking at the Where's Wally series. I don't know whether you're into Where's Wally. Maybe not. Uh, My little niece is really into Where's Wally at the moment. So when I babysit her, um, rather than having a story when when she goes to bed, she wants Auntie Nick to find Wally with her in the book, which of course means that she stays up way later because I can never find Wally in the book. And, um, but where's Wally? He's a little character. He wears a bobble hat. He has a red and white striped jumper with glasses, blue jeans, yeah? And the book is, like, lots of different pictures of crazy people, and you've got to find Wally in each picture. Okay, so it takes you ages to find it. So I thought we'd have a go today at looking at a where's Wally to see if you can find Wally. I was going to... On the, on the screen, okay, if we can find Wally on the screen somewhere. So, um, let's see. Okay, this is a picture. Can anyone spot where Wally might be? I know this a bit, the lights aren't great, but just anybody can. <laughs> yeah, no, on the, I did say on the screen before we start pointing to various people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nobody point here, thank you. Anybody find Wally there? He's got, he should have a bobble hat and red and white striped jumper. Red and white bobble hat, glasses. It's not easy, I suppose, because of the screen as well. <laughs> Anybody think they found Wally there? Top left at the table. Yes, Marilyn, you're right. You've got the screen there, haven't you? <laughs> So maybe a little bit more of a cheat. Let's have a little look. Hang on. Here you go. There. Can you see him? <laughs> no. <laughs> Still can't see him. Even in that confined circle. Yeah, well, he is there. That's, that's where Wally is. Okay. Um, but this is what I end up doing with my niece most evenings when I babysit. Where's Wally? You know, it's frustrating when you're looking for something, you're searching for something, but you can't find what you're looking for. These are really frustrating. It's like his magic eye pictures, isn't it? You know, when people say, oh, yeah, I can see it coming out of me, and you're like, what? I can just see lots of fuzz. What's going on? 
We all know Wally's there, okay? Even though you might not be able to see him still, and you might not have been able to see him before, you know he's there because I've told you he's there, and of course the book publishes it, and you know it's bound to be in the picture. But even if you never see him, even if you still can't see him, you have an understanding that he's there, but it's still frustrating, isn't it? We still feel like, hang on a minute, how come everyone else can see Wally, but I can't see Wally? What's wrong with me? I wonder whether we ever feel like this about God. I know sometimes I do. Like the Christian journey, perhaps, is just kind of one long Where's Wally book. But it's not Where's Wally, it's Where's God? Where's God? And we're not looking for somebody um, with a guy in a bobble hat and a red and white striped jumper and glasses. Maybe. Maybe God's like that, I don't know. We're not looking for that. But as we go through our Christian life and our Christian faith and we go through different circumstances and different situations and lots of different things, we can sometimes feel a bit perhaps like, God, where are you? God, where are you in this? Not physical, not, you know, I can't see you, God, physically. We can't see God physically, but still you get that sense of, you know, I'm standing here and I'm praying and I'm crying out to you, God, and I'm going through this and I can't see you. I can't see where you are, God. I can't see you in all of this. One of my uh, favourite games when I was young was hide-and-seek. You like hide-and-seek? Everyone knows how hide-and-seek works, isn't it? One person hides, the other person seeks them out. Vice versa, you do that, okay? It used to entertain me for hours, hide-and-seek. It was a, such a great game. My nieces and nephews were playing it the other day. And uh, my little niece ran in, and she's hiding by the sofa, and all us adults are having coffee, and she's hid down the sofa. I say, yeah, yeah, you go there, that's fine. And the others will look for them, the older ones. Time goes by, and like, we've actually had all our coffee and cake, and like, time still goes by, and she's still hiding here. I'm like, oh, sweetheart, what are you doing? I'm just hiding. Okay, so I go to the other room to find the older niece and nephew. Oh, yeah, no, they're just playing a different game now. They, you know, they're not even looking for her because she gets a bit annoying sometimes because she's small, so they just send her off to hide, and then they carry on with their game. It's just, I thought, oh, I remember those days. But uh, hide-and-seek, what a great game. And then when you're older, uh, teenagers still love to play hide-and-seek, actually. When I was a youth worker, we used to have this game, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't called hide-and-seek, it was called sardines. If you've played that when you may be a little bit older. But what happens is um, one person hides, and everybody tries to find that one person. And then when you find that person, you hide with them. And so every time you find the people, you hide with them. So in the end, you're in a really small space, like sardines. Well, they used to love playing it in the dark, but health and safety and all wasn't great but anyway so you'd find the people and you'd all huddle together and I just always seemed to be the last person to find everybody I always used to be the one walking around going I'm on my own here where is everyone and they're all together and sometimes you know sometimes I get that feeling with God you know like everyone else can see God everyone's here together and they can see God but I'm still on my own Or maybe you're still on your own, still searching, thinking, God, where are you? Everyone's here, seems to be encountering God, seems to know God's presence, seems to hear from God, feel God, see God. And I'm here, and I'm grappling in the dark and thinking, God, where are you? And God, are you bothered? Can you hear me? 
And you know what? We don't only get downhearted because we can't see God, perhaps, but what happens is when we're in that place, not only are we frustrated that we can't see God, but then we feel this sense of maybe condemnation on our life because we feel like we should be able to. Like we should be able to sense the presence of God. Like we should know and understand what's going on and that we are the only one feeling like that. The thing is, if we're all honest, we probably all feel like this at times. And you know what? I think that's okay. I want to encourage us today and say, you know, I think that's okay. I've really been impacted these last couple of weeks with this 40 days of Jesus' resurrection, after the resurrection. And you know what? In my sense of just crying out, you know, God, where are you? God, where are you in this right now? God, I can't see you. I just really feel like this has given me a kind of new revelation. I want to share that with you today, that maybe seeing God is not everything. Maybe God isn't requiring us always to see him. Maybe it's far bigger than that. You know that sense when you come in on a Sunday to hear? It's great to be together, isn't it? Do you ever get that feeling like you're the only one that's standing there thinking, I don't know what this is about anymore. I can't see God anymore. I, I don't know where God is and I can't feel God. Maybe it's bigger than that. And I want us to take a look at some of the encounters that Jesus had with people uh, uh, on, in those 40 days. And I want to start at the end of the 40 days and move backwards. I've had a sudden realisation about my life that I do things backwards. Okay? And I, I was thinking I was with this study and I was like, right, I'm going to start from the end and work back. So we're going to start... <laughs> At the end, and go back. Okay, so Acts chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to take a little few snippets from different parts of the Bible, so I'm going to be jumping around a bit, but um, I've got them. I'll have them later on the screen for you. So Acts chapter 1, 1 to 3. Jesus is uh, taken up into heaven. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until that day, he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Stop there for a moment. Over 40 days, Jesus appears to the disciples. Over 40 days, Jesus shows himself to the disciples and gives convincing proofs and speaks about the kingdom of God. Brilliant. And then before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gathers his 11 disciples and he gives them the great commission, which I'm sure we're kind of pretty familiar with. So here he is, he's appeared to his disciples, he's given them proofs, he's spoken about the kingdom of God, and then he gathers them in Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20, we have this great commission. And he's called the 11 disciples together. And they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So before Jesus ascends to heaven, he has his 11 disciples there to give them the great commission. The 11 who had walked with Jesus, had journeyed with Jesus for the past few years, learned from him, trusted him, were assured of him. They were his 11 closest. But 
you know, my eyes were open to this passage this week just to see something different because it said some, some worshipped, but some doubted. These were his eleven, these were his closest, who were gathered around him, and some worshipped, but some still doubted, even though Jesus was there in front of them. And these doubting people were not just random people who'd not yet given their life to Christ, not yet known Jesus. These were his nearest, closest companions, his chosen ones. And there were a group that worshipped him, and there were a group that doubted, but all are gathered, and all have obeyed his command to come and meet him on the mountain. And Jesus, a great thing, is not a bit phased by this. He's not phased by what his followers are thinking, that actually some of them are doubting. He's not bothered whether they can see him or not, despite having given the proofs, despite having spoken about the kingdom of God. He's okay that they are there (coughs) doubting still, because they've come, and they've come, and they've gathered And Jesus was more concerned about their obedience to him. And he gives both groups, he gives the worshippers and the doubters the great commission. He gives both of them purpose. Isn't that brilliant? That Jesus is there and some are like, I'm not convinced about this. I'm not sure, I'm doubting this. And yet Jesus still said, I'm going to give you the great commission, the great commission to go out and baptise people and be my witnesses. That's brilliant. That Jesus gives them that. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't say, oh, well, you know, because you're having a few doubts about me, you're rejected. I'm not going to give you purpose. I'm not going to give you a calling on your life. No, I'm going to give you the commission, the purpose. And in Acts chapter 1, 6 to 8, it tells us this. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The important thing was that the disciples knew their purpose, that they received the power of the Holy Spirit to live out their lives and that they would be, there, be witnesses, be willing to lay down their life for Jesus. That was the important thing, not whether they could see Jesus, but that they had a purpose, that they were living their life by the power of God and they were prepared to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And sometimes as followers of God we can find ourselves in a place where maybe everyone around us can see Jesus, but we find that we can't. We're struggling to see Jesus. Everyone is understanding, but we're not. We're confused and we're struggling. And yet perhaps Jesus is not overly concerned with that feeling. Maybe we don't need to be anxious or worried about that set of circumstances we're in, so long as we know that we have a purpose, that we are commissioned, that we have uh, you know, the Holy Spirit in our life to give us power, that we're continuing to receive the Holy Spirit and that we are prepared to be witnesses to lay down our life. Maybe that's what's important here. Let's just have a look quickly at a few more personal encounters that Christ had after his resurrection. We have the encounter of Jesus with two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Let me see if I can just this yeah or this bit small for you there but in Luke 24 what we've got here is we've got two of the disciples and they're walking to Emmaus and 
And they're just having a chat between themselves just over the events of what's happened. They thought that Jesus was going to redeem them. They thought that Jesus was going to come and rescue them. And now Jesus has been crucified. And they've heard stories that the body's not even there anymore. And so the two disciples are talking about this and they're confused about it. And Jesus kind of rocks up alongside them and they start talking amongst the three of them. But the disciples can't see that it's Jesus. They're kept from recognising Jesus. So they don't know he's there. So they're just talking to him almost like a visitor. They can't see Jesus on the road, but Jesus is there. Jesus is walking with them on that road. Whose fault was it that they couldn't see Jesus? Well, it wasn't their fault. In verse 16, it says that they were kept from recognising him. So it wasn't their fault they couldn't see Jesus. When I look at this road, I see two things. I see it's a road of dashed hope. Because in verse 21 it says this, they were saying, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They'd hoped that Jesus would be the redeemer. They'd not fully understood what was going on. And so in verse 17 we're told that they are downcast because their hope is gone, their hope has been dashed as they're walking on this road. But it's also a road of confusion, because in verse 22 it says, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels, and he was, who said he was alive. And so they're hearing these accounts of what's gone on and what's happened, and they're bewildered by it all, and they're not sure what to make now of what's going on. And perhaps, you know, perhaps we can find ourselves like this, like these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Perhaps we can find ourselves on that road where hopes are dashed, where actually life is quite confusing. What we hope for doesn't seem to be making any sense anymore, doesn't seem to be fulfilled anymore, and we can't understand it. And we're confused by what's going on in our life. And in all of this, added to that is that we can't see Jesus. And we're trying to say, God, God, where are you in this? And the two disciples are in that same position. But what they don't realise is that Jesus is actually there. Jesus is actually walking with them. He's journeying with them. He's right there. And, in late, and later in verse 30 to 31, we see their eyes opened. It says this, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began uh, to give it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. Just as they see Jesus, Jesus disappears. Just as they recognise Jesus, he's gone. Maybe it wasn't all about seeing Jesus. Maybe there's far more. Let's have a look at another encounter that Jesus has. He has the encounter with the disciples and Thomas. And this takes place in the house when Jesus appears to the disciples and they get fearful and they get afraid. They're not sure who this is. They're not, you know, um, used to this risen Christ and they think it's a ghost. And then Thomas, of course, we know Thomas because he's famous for being doubting Thomas. And they can't see Jesus either. They can't see Jesus in their situation. Whose fault was it that they couldn't see him this time? Well, the disciples, probably it was kind of their fault due to doubt. Jesus says to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? They thought Jesus was a ghost. And then Thomas, we see in Thomas's um, account, it was really his will because the disciples said this, um, we have seen the Lord, 
But Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So the disciples have this doubt and maybe it's Thomas's will and they can't see Jesus in this. And there's two things I think that this house becomes. It becomes a house of fear because they're gathered together and Jesus appears and they think he's a ghost and it says that they're terrified, they're startled, they're frightened. And maybe sometimes we are locked into a place in our lives, almost like the disciples were, where we're afraid, when we're anxious, when we're worried, when we're scared and we can't see Jesus. And it's a house of doubt, because not only did the disciples doubt the the group, but Thomas is highlighted as the one who doubted as well, doubted what was happening, what was taking place. Was this really Jesus that was appearing to them? So often I'm sure that we can find ourselves in a place of doubt. Maybe, maybe not. But I know sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm in that place of uncertainty. You know, and you br- you're standing there you're thinking, is this it? Is this really it? Sometimes we just have to be honest, don't we? And say, God, are you really here? And we fall into that trap then of feeling guilty because we feel like that. We feel guilty for doubting. We feel guilty for questioning. And we condemn ourselves. But you know, interestingly, the only place in the Gospels where Jesus is addressed as my Lord and my God is here by Thomas. And it's the place of doubt that is the place that enabled Thomas to see Jesus for who he really was. And sometimes, you know, maybe we go through things, sometimes our circumstance opens our eyes up and there's no other way we can see it. But in verse 29 of John 20, Jesus says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is it. That maybe seeing isn't everything. Seeing's not the big deal. Jesus wasn't just referring to blessed are those who do not see me and then have a revelation and put their faith in, faith in me. But I think what actually he's saying is more than this. Blessed are those who are believing and don't see me, but continue believing. Blessed are those who have been a Christian for 20 years and can't see Jesus anymore, but continue to believe. Blessed are we when we put our faith in God, even though our circumstance and our situation says, where is God in all of this? Blessed are we when we still believe. I think that's what Jesus was saying. It's not always just about feeling the presence of God and being able to try and see God in the situation. Maybe it's just as it is. And maybe God doesn't need us to see him, but maybe God just needs us to stand firm and say, yeah, but it's about your purpose. It's about your purpose, it's about living your life by the Spirit, it's about being a witness. That's what I'm calling you to. Don't worry, don't worry that you can't see me. Don't get stressed out, don't feel condemned, don't feel guilty. Be assured that you're blessed because you believe in me and you have faith in me. The final encounter that I want us to take a look at is this encounter that Jesus has with Mary Magdalene at the tomb in John 20. Mary doesn't see Jesus But he's there. She doesn't see him, but he's there. Whose fault is it this time that she can't see Jesus? Well, I think it was her anguish of love that just made it not possible. She's gone to the tomb. You know, she's broken because she's, you know, Jesus has been crucified. She goes to the tomb and now the body's not there. In verse 14 it says this, As she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognise that it was Jesus two things of this garden 
she stood in a garden of tears. In verse 13 to 15, they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus, and he asked a woman, Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. She'd lost Jesus, the one she held dear. The one that was precious was gone. And now the tomb is empty. And she's crying. She's upset. And sometimes in our life, we get to that place of anguish, that place of heartache, that place of tears, that place where it hurts, a place of sorrow. And we can't see Jesus. We can't see Jesus, but he's there. He said Mary couldn't recognize Jesus in her pain and her heartache, but he was right there. It was a garden of tears. It was also a garden of presumption. Let's have a look in verse 15. He asked a woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? I think he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, I'll get him. She presumed Jesus was the gardener. Earlier we saw the disciples presuming that Jesus was a visitor on the road. And then they presumed he was a ghost in the house. Now she presumes he's the gardener, which would make sense because he's standing in the garden. Sometimes we ask the question, where's God? We're looking for a certain type of aspect of God. We're looking for something that's maybe familiar because we're conditioned into thinking a certain way about who God is. Mary didn't expect to see the risen Christ. She wasn't expecting to see that. She'd never seen him before, so she presumes this man is, is the gardener standing there. Would we be able to see Wally in the Where's Wally picture? if he wasn't dressed in his usual attire. I mean, no, some of you didn't even see him in his usual attire, but say he wasn't dressed in his usual attire, would we find Wally? Probably not, because we wouldn't know what we were looking for. And it's possible for us as Christians to carry throughout our life this picture of God, of who God is, thinking we've got God sussed out, and so we look for that particular aspect, that particular character of God. And maybe we need a new revelation of his nature, You know, it's as if when you're asked to draw a house, when you're asked to draw a house when you're little, you draw a house, don't you, with a chimney, four windows, a door, a path, and a tree. Probably most of us draw a house in that way. It's almost like if we were asked to do that, we'd probably do that now, even, draw a house in that way. It doesn't change. And sometimes on our Christian journey, you know, we... We have this picture of who God is, and so we look for that aspect of God, but we miss out on a different aspect of God that we're not so familiar with, perhaps. And we ask that question, where is God? God is there all the time. But perhaps we just don't recognize him. Perhaps we don't see him, because we've been conditioned in a certain way. We expect to see God as healer, but what we don't recognize is that God is the one who suffers. Or the other way around. We expect to see God within all suffering, and actually we need a new revelation of God as healer. Or perhaps we've sinned and so we expect to see God as judge. But actually what we don't see is God as saviour, God as forgiver, God as the one giving grace and mercy. And that's the problem with us as Christians, isn't it? Because we carry around a certain type of God, a certain picture of who God is. And maybe we need a new revelation of who God is. Mary presumed she was the gar- he was the gardener. But that was Jesus standing there. 
And the key thing again in this verse, in verse 17, Jesus says, do not hold on to me when she recognizes who Jesus is. Do not hold on to me. I'm not yet ascended to the Father, but go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And as soon as Mary sees Jesus, Jesus tells her to go. To go. Go and tell others. Actually, maybe it wasn't the seeing of Jesus that was really really important but that she had purpose that her life was to be filled with the spirit and to be a witness you know we ask the question where is God but maybe the question should be where are we because in every case we've looked at today Jesus was there Jesus was there he was actually the one seeking them it didn't matter whether they were in hopelessness and confusion whether they were in fear and in doubt whether they were in anguish or presumption whether it was a road, whether it was a house, whether it was a garden. But Jesus went to them. Jesus was there. And you know what? As I was praying this week and I was just seeking God, I just really felt God said, you know, people need to know. People need to know I'm there. That God is there for us. Even though we can't see him sometimes. Even though we might not feel it sometimes. Even though the presence of God might not be very close right now. Maybe even when we're standing in church and we don't get it and we can't understand it. God is there. I don't know where you are. I don't know what your situation is like. But we all struggle at some point to see Jesus. The sick struggle to see the healer. The confused can't see the shepherd. The fearful can't see the protector. But you know what? I don't think we need to worry about that. I don't think Jesus is phased by that. I don't think that bothers him. I don't think we need to get condemned by that. He wasn't phased then. I don't think he's phased now. What was important to Jesus was that we know our purpose, that we live by the power of God and we're his witnesses. You know, our situation, whatever we're in, whether it's hopeless, whether we're confused, whether we're tearful, fearful, in doubt, I don't know, whatever it might be, God doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to write you off. I'm going to write you off. You're doubting me. You can't see me. You're confused. You're feeling hopeless. You know, you're not experiencing me right now. I'm going to write you off. No, Jesus didn't do that in the Bible. He doesn't do that with us now. Don't stress. Let's not stress if we can't find God in our situation. It's not the seeing him that will take us forward, but it's knowing and being assured of and believing and having faith that we've all been called. We've all been given that purpose. We've all been commissioned. And maybe we just need to acknowledge sometimes we can't see him, but we know he's still there. Why do we know that? Because he's proved himself in his word time and time again, that he's there. And 1 Peter 1.8 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The road, the house, the garden... They're just places that we find ourselves in. We don't have to be able to see Jesus to keep going. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to tell Thomas. We can be on the mountaintop and doubt alongside with those who are worshipping. And it's okay. Jesus isn't worried. For Jesus, it's about our purpose. It's about that great commission that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit And we will be willing to be witnesses to God throughout, wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves.
going to invite the worship group just to, to come and just do a final song for us. And I think, you know, as we, as we just worship God again and we come to this place, it's not just an end song, but it's a time just to reflect on what's been said, to reflect on the Word of God in our lives. And maybe some of us today... You know, this is where this is stemmed from, from my heart, of just being in that place sometimes where you go, you know what, God, where are you? God, what is going on right now? Why is this happening? What is it, you know, what's taking place here? And sometimes when we can't see God, we just feel that guilt on our life as well. And I think God just says, you know what, don't stress. It's okay. I'm not faced by that. I'm still here. I'm still your God. I still love you. Blessed are you. When you can't see me, but you still believe. Blessed are you. We are all called. We are all purposed. We are all called to live by the Holy Spirit. And I think as we do that, as we just stay in obedience to God, you know, maybe that sometimes we might see that revelation and feel that presence, and that's great. Sometimes we don't, and that's okay. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word to us. I thank you for the Easter story. And I thank you for that that time of 40 days afterwards before you ascended to heaven. Lord, I, I thank you for what that shows us. I thank you for these encounters with people that you had and what we can learn from that. And, and Lord, sometimes, you know, the Christian journey is difficult. It's not always easy. You never said it would be. Sometimes we, we find ourselves on roads, in houses, in gardens, in places of hopelessness, in places of confusion, when we're fearful, when we're presuming, when we're in anguish, when we're tearful. God, and I, I reckon all of us have cried out, where's God? Where are you, God? And I just thank you that you're there. I thank you that you're right there beside us. Even though we can't see you, you're there. You, you tell us that you never leave us. You never forsake us. And we don't have to try that hard to seek you out, God, because you're already the one making your way towards us. You're already the one seeking us. And I thank you for that, Lord. But I just pray today that people would have a new assurance that you're there. And Lord, that we won't worry if we can't always feel your presence. And we won't worry if we can't always see you. But God, we live by faith and we believe in you and we know, Lord, that, that you've called us and you've purposed us and you've asked us to be your witnesses. It's amazing. And we just want to be obedient to that today, Lord. So, God, I just pray for everybody here, Lord. I pray that all of us would just have that knowledge of you, that, that assurance that you're there, that we can stand in our faith and believe in that and know that we are blessed even though we can't see. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Delancey Eden Church. For more podcasts, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelan.co.uk.